Our sermon today is based on our reading from the Gospel of John, chapter 4, verses 39 through 42. And in these verses today, we continue our four-part sermon series on Jesus and the encounter he had with the woman at the well. If you are tuning in to this online service today for the very first time, it would be a good thing to go back and look at the videos from worship last weekend and the weekend before as we began with the first verses in this fourth chapter. And uh, we learned some very important things about this woman, this Samaritan woman, and why it was so remarkable that Jesus would be speaking to her in public uh, in that land called Samaria. So please go back and watch those videos so that today, as we look at these verses, uh, it all makes sense to you based on what uh, has been revealed to us so far as we've dug into this text and listened to what God has to tell us. So our reading, again, beginning at verse 39. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him, Jesus, because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, We no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this man really is the Savior of the world. Brothers and sisters, this is the gospel of our Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. So John tells us that many of those Samaritans believed because of the woman's testimony. Not everyone believed, but many did. And without her witness, without her willingness to share what she had experienced in the presence of Christ, they would not have had an opportunity to hear the good news that the Messiah was now in their midst. This woman has a remarkable transformation, doesn't she? She goes from outsider, from outcast, to messenger of the gospel and servant of God. And her witness is, he told me everything I ever did. Now, when she says that, friends, she's not bragging, is she? She's not saying Jesus was well aware of my long list of, a, of accomplishments and all the good deeds that I have racked up through the years. He knew everything. And a lot of that was not very good. God knows everything about you. Everything. And he knows everything there is to know about a sinner like me. I want you to think on that. God knows everything there is to know about you and me. And yet he loves us. And yet he sent Jesus to die for us. And he wants to use us in spite of anything and everything that we may think disqualifies us based on our past. And then, because those Samaritans urged Jesus to stay, 
to stay on for two more days, even more became believers. But not everyone. John doesn't say that the entire city came to faith in Christ. Our Lord was willing to stay on in a place that wasn't exactly friendly territory in order to share with others the good news of God's kingdom which had come into their midst and our Lord's love for all people, uh, the woman at the well, and for everyone who has ears to hear. And because of our Lord's ministry, even more came to faith. But not everyone. Some did not. As Christians, we are never promised 100% success when it comes to leading other people to Christ. And by the way, that is our first and foremost mission here at Faith Lutheran, is to lead people to Christ who don't yet know Him. We're not promised 100% success when we share our faith, like the woman at the well shared with her neighbors. Not even Jesus had that success rate, did he? But if we don't at least try, if we don't at least attempt, if we don't at least share our faith with other people, hoping they come to Christ, then we can be guaranteed of zero percent success. God wants us to do our best, even in the knowledge that not everyone will receive our testimony. We leave that to the work of the Holy Spirit. And as we think about this encounter and how many came to faith but some did not, for those of us who are Christian, there's a real important connection between the gift of holy baptism and what we in the church for centuries have um, celebrated when it comes to a young person's affirmation of their baptismal identity what many church bodies call uh, the rite or the celebration of confirmation, when someone confirms their faith, when they say yes to God, who's already said yes to them in giving them life in their mother's wombs and their families, uh, nurturing them in the faith, and then bringing them to receive the gift of baptism. Note the words of those who came to faith in Christ. They said to the woman, who first told them about Jesus, we no longer believe simply because of you or your words or your message or your witness. Now we believe for ourselves. We believe for ourselves that this man, this Jesus, is the Messiah, the Christos, the Savior of the world. And so when young people who've been baptized stand before their families and friends in any church setting, it's not just an affirmation of faith because their parents believe, or because their pastors believe. It's not just an affirmation of what others have said. Those young sons and daughters, now standing on their own two feet, make their own confession of faith. So just like the early church, uh, we baptize children of believers in the hope and with the prayer that they will, in God's good time, come to full faith in Jesus Christ. And when children are baptized, remember, parents and baptismal sponsors promise that they will raise them in the knowledge of the Lord. They will teach them the Apostles' Creed, the Lord's Prayer, the Ten Commandments. They will place in their hands 
the scriptures, the Holy Bible, not just as a gift to sit on a nightstand, but a book, a living book, a living word to be read. Because God's word never returns empty. And so in the studying of scripture, the Holy Spirit leads us to greater faith and wisdom. But even when a child is baptized, there's no guarantee that they will remain fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ their entire lives. And because of this, some Christians have decided that it is appropriate to only baptize adults once they've accepted Christ as Lord and Savior. But let's be honest. Let's be real. There's no guarantee that people baptized in that pattern will remain fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ the rest of their days either. I've met plenty of people who went up to get saved at a revival or at a uh, large uh, non-denom church who later fell away from discipleship, who no longer followed Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. That's because baptism is not magic. It's a covenant. It's a covenant that God makes with us, and we have a response in that covenant, and some people reject it. Those who reject the way in which Christians have baptized people of all ages through the centuries don't have some fail-proof system when they refuse to baptize the children of believers. And we who baptize children of believers don't claim to have a fail-proof system either. We baptize the way the church is always baptized. Little children that Jesus said, let them come to me, do not keep them away. And we baptize adults with the hope and in the fervent prayer that they will remain strong in faith, hope, and love all their days. And sadly, some fall away from faith. Some reject it outright. But countless more remain faithful in fellowship with Christ, following him all their days in response to his grace, his love, and his mercy. At the right time, Christ died for us while we were still in sin. And so any faith that we have, any discipleship that marks our days, that marks our lives, is simply in response to God's first move and everything that he's done without our deserving. Jesus was in Samaria for two days. He was there, fully man, fully God. The Son of God was with those Samaritans. No one taught with more power, more truth, more authority than Jesus. And yet some did not come to faith. Our Lord did his part. And remember his words from last week's meditation. My food is to do the will of my Father. And it is the will of the Father that all would come to faith in Christ. But not even God himself will force anyone to accept him or believe in him. For that would not be faith, would it? That would not be belief at all. That would be coercion. Long ago, Martin Luther spoke the truth of the matter when he wrote these words, I cannot by my own reason or strength believe in Jesus Christ my Lord or come to him, 
but the Holy Spirit has called me through the gospel, enlightening me with his gifts, and sanctified and preserved me in true faith. What was true for Martin Luther is true for all believers. It was true for the Samaritans who could not come to faith in Jesus as the Christ, the Messiah, by their own reason or strength either. It required the power of the Lord and the work of the Holy Spirit to open their hearts and stir their minds to his Lord, his Lordship, and his identity. On this 4th of July weekend, I believe there is a similar dynamic, if you will, when it comes to our life together as American citizens. We cannot make people have faith in Jesus, and we cannot force people to treasure or honor our way of life. We can't force people to appreciate our, our freedom as citizens in this good land, to believe that all men and women are created by God and endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, among them life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. We cannot force people to be good citizens. We cannot force people to appreciate our liberty. But we should try to instill in others, especially our children and grandchildren, a gratitude for these freedoms and a willingness to safeguard them at all times. Here at Faith, we preach and teach the right distinction between the kingdom of this world and the kingdom of our Lord, sometimes called the kingdom on the left and the kingdom on the right, where Jesus sits at the right hand of God the Father in glory. And your pastors have said from this pulpit, over and over again, that Jesus Christ and Christ alone is the way, the truth, and the life. We have preached Christ crucified, Christ buried, Christ ascended to the right hand of the Father, who will come again to judge the living and the dead. And as we honor Christ and Christ alone as the King of kings and Lord of lords, in this kingdom on the left, we have prayed for our appointed and elected government leaders, both liberal and conservative, both Democrat and Republican, that they would all seek God's will here on earth in this worldly kingdom, that they would seek to be people of honor and dignity and courage who do not grieve God's heart, but serve for the benefit, the commonwealth of all. We thank God in our prayers each week for our way of life in this good land. Not a perfect country, but a good nation in which we have freedom to worship the Lord in spirit and in truth without the government telling us what we are allowed to believe or what we must believe or how we must worship or how we must not worship. I have preached repeatedly repeatedly, remembering Peter's words from the fifth chapter of the book of Acts, that even though we should and we must pray for those in authority, ultimately we must obey God rather than any human authority if and when they forbid us to proclaim the name of Jesus 
and worship him, adore him, and serve him as Lord and Savior. Friends, who but God, who but God knows what will come of the chaos, the violence, the destruction, the hatred, and the disregard for human life and property, both public and private, that we have seen now for many weeks, and we see every evening in the news. Brothers and sisters in Christ, who but God knows what will happen in this nation come November after our elections. I have never and will never tell anyone whom they must support politically or who they must vote for in any election. And I don't want anyone telling me for whom I must vote. I've said many times, every year, since Faith called me to serve as your senior pastor in 1998, and I've said the same thing in all of my 36 years of ministry in four different congregations. If you want to talk politics, let's talk politics. Let's do that over breakfast, a cup of coffee. And if you're buying, a cold glass of beer. So I will say this again. I urge you to pray earnestly for our nation. I urge you to pray daily for those serving in leadership and those who will be elected. That means I ask you to pray for, here in New Mexico, Governor Lujan Grisham. And if you live elsewhere, I ask you to pray for your governor. And I ask you to pray for President Donald Trump. For us here in New Mexico, a Democrat governor, and for all of us, a Republican president. And I ask you to pray now the same way I urged you, the people of faith, to pray for Governor Martinez and President Obama when the party affiliations were reversed. And I will also say this. Vote prayerfully for the candidates you believe will best serve our nation and defend our way of life from all enemies, foreign and domestic. Vote for the candidates that you believe will honor the, the presence and the work of the Christian church in our society and respect the dignity and the religion of all people. Vote for those you believe will support the God-given sanctity of all life and the God-given dignity of all people, regardless of race, color, creed. In this congregation, we take seriously our life in the kingdom on the left, the kingdom of this world. And we seek to honor the Lord and obey God at all times and all situations by being good citizens, even if it means sacrifice and suffering. We take our life in the kingdom on the right, the kingdom of Christ, all the more seriously. All earthly authority and power will come to an end someday. But the power of Christ and Christ alone will remain forever. 
He is the King of kings and Lord of lords. And not even the gates of hell can prevail against Jesus and his, his precious bride, the church. So I pray the Lord will find us faithful in all things. Like that Samaritan woman at the well, may we do our part in all those holy interruptions. That's from one of the previous sermons. May we do our part when God gives us opportunity to lead others to Christ while there's still time and whenever we have the opportunity. May the peace which far surpasses all human understanding keep your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus our Lord and until he comes again in glory. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.